Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First, it's free. How much better does it get? Second, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Third, Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever your audience is tuning in, your podcast will be there. Fourth, you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. Look at us. We have less than 100 listeners per episode, yet we still make money on ads. Granted, it's not a lot, but we still make money. And finally, it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm. That's anchor, the thing you throw off your boat, .fm to get started. Welcome into another edition of the JMU Sports News Podcast. I am Bennett Conlon, joined by Jack Fitzpatrick, and we have a special guest, Noah Ziegler, tonight. Woo! So how are both of you guys doing? Um, Noah, you start. Oh, wow. All right. Um, <laughs> a lot of pressure. I, I'm great. Uh, great day. Definitely a uh, very, 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 very good morning after for JMU fans after watching uh, number one. <laughs> Wake Forest go down to JMU, but I'm great. How are uh, how are you, Jack? I'm fantastic. You really stole my thunder there, though, with the, the segue. Beautiful segue. Jumping right into it. I love it. Let's just get right into what happened last night with JMU unseating Wake, the, wait, Wake Forest is Demon Deacons, right? Yes. Oh, good old... Just taking out the Demon Deacons. We'll, we'll maybe come back to our our friendly banter that we start episodes with. But for now, let's just jump into it. That's why we have you on, Noah, tonight. To just, we know you're a big, big soccer guy. Were you at the game last night? I was, I was. Can you just talk about that energy? I mean, what, 14, 15,000? Wow, not that many. 1,400, 1,500. Numbers are really hard sometimes. Yeah. In the stands last night. What, what was that like, just energy-wise? <laughs> So something with soccer that I find interesting compared to other press boxes, the press box at Sentara Park, uh, it's actually probably the biggest thing that I change is that I, I don't really get a good sense of that crowd roar after a goal. Like, you know, it, it, I it's I see I hear it at football games all the time, but like some reason at Sentara Park, it's hard. So yeah. I did like I had to I had to look really hard kind of to pay attention to little things about the energy and kind of the whole vibe of the night. And it didn't hit me to when the SID um, and the Jamie Athletics people and uh, marketing, I, every minute just looked over and went, oh my gosh, this line is getting longer. And I looked out for a second and just the place was packed. And unofficially, I think it did break the attendance record. I know it fell, I think, like 78 people short. I think they. I think it did break the attendance record in that um some people were definitely not accounted for uh, i know a lot of people also turned around because of the line but the line was so long and the reason why it was is because they ran a promotion with uh, philanth- or, uh fraternities and sororities and the most represented 
fraternity or sorority got $500 toward their philanthropic uh, organization. And so that line was there because you had to sign in. You would get points for it. You would also, uh, you know, potentially win your fraternity or sorority 500 bucks. Jeez, Um, that's smart. Yeah. And a lot of people apparently just said, yeah, no, I'm just going to go. And so (laughs) there was that. And I mean, they also did the uh, first 50 students get scarves. And I I, I noticed this. uh, You get a ticket and then you have to go back at halftime. So you have to stay for at least one half. Uh, That's at least what soccer does. But um, I I mean, football is kind of doing with the punches in the fourth quarter. But anyways, just the energy of the night was it was special because in the air, something and I'm saying this as an unbiased reporter of the match. There was something in the air, and I think everyone knew what was about to happen. And on paper, obviously, Wake Forest should have came in, not blown out, but Wake Forest should have come in and won by two goals. But after the first half, when JMU outshoots Wake Forest 4-2, to two, and people start to realize uh, JMU should be winning this game, Wake Forest has done nothing on the attack, it starts to go, oh, wait. And then it also hit me that, the opposite could happen and the worst case scenario could happen. And that is a zero zero draw because any person that comes for the first time that went to that game and sees a zero zero draw, they're like, okay, I'm not coming back. But when that, the free kick that Manu got at the edge of the box should have been a penalty. Uh, I don't know if you guys were watching the Madison stream, but it very, I think it very well should have been a penalty. Hey, that might've not been a goal the way their goalkeeper played that penalty. Oh kick my later gosh. On in the half. Pannenberg is, and I, I, it really, I mean, it sucks for him because he should not have, he did not deserve to lose that game, Pannenberg. It was, it was that he, he did what he needed to do. And there was one play that Jamie had a counterattack and he made a kick save on that, And it should have been, I think, two, nothing at that time. Like, he, he did what he needed to do. But anyways, it was, it's, it, and you're right. And when it was a free kick, I just kind of thought in the back of my mind, Manu's going to hit this and sink this because it's Manu. And if you've ever <laughs> talked to Manu, you know, the first thing about him is that he believes in himself and he, and he should, cause he is a special player. And when he knocked that in that, that place just, it went nuts. They went nuts and the fans were in it. You started to notice that, you know, these weren't just college fans trying to get or college kids trying to get points for their frat or sorority. It was, these guys are actually becoming fans and it was special to watch that. Then when Manu missed the penalty, that's when the nerves settled in because people started to think, wait, there's still, what, 30 minutes of play left? And then TJ Bush's save on the penalty, that, I mean, at that point, I think everyone kind of knew what was about to happen. And that was definitely something I've never experienced while covering a match or game. And I've been doing that for over two years now. Yeah. I mean, you look at the box score there and it, James. I believe one in everything. They had bet more twelve to ten shots. They had seven to six saves, of, even on the corners. But and then fouls. I guess something you don't really want to win in in that. You, you can you can thank Fernando Casero for that. <laughs> but yeah, it was just a crazy game. I tuned in probably with thirty minutes left in it. Right after Manu hit hit the. I mean, it turned out to be the game winner, and I was on the edge of my seat the entire game. Bennett, you were covering the uh, UVA game, right? 
Yeah, so I was I was working during the game. I kept some tabs on Twitter a little bit, but I was working UVA men's soccer. They were playing Radford. They scored in the fifth minute and then just sort of <laughs> played really good, really good defense, held on to win one nothing. Uh, yeah, I mean they have a legitimate chance. They're undefeated, playing really good defense. Jamie plays them. I think it's like October fifteenth. I think Noah, you were saying that you'll be there. There's a there's I a will. chance that UVA could be number one, and Jamie, you could have a chance to knock off two number ones in the same season. Um, but no, no, yeah. So I was working it, but I saw that it was huge. The atmosphere was different, and at least in my experience covering JMU sports, this is the first time, other than last year's like NCAA tournament games, that I can really remember a JMU soccer game of any kind getting hype like more than a day in advance for like a regular season match. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was when when, when Barstool J- when Barstool JMU tweets twice about men's soccer, you know something is happening. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. That's a really good point. That's the barometer of how important <laughs> it is in terms of the the layman JMU sports fan. Did I use that word right? I think I did. That seemed good. <laughs> yeah. But but no that it was it was like a really special experience and and big, and I know Jack and I had talked, and I think I probably overreacted after the first two games, and was saying that we both probably you know, did. We're kings, right? Maybe the expectations should lower, and I still, I still don't know that like national championship expectations make sense. I think there's like the possibility that Jamie makes a really deep run, but Noah, what are your thoughts on the first two games, and then sort of the last four? Is there something that's changed from your vantage point, or what's sort of been the switch? So I noticed uh, I noticed this last year, and I actually kind of had a feeling it would happen again this year. This this team takes a little bit to settle in, and I know I know that's a lot of uh, a lot of people's excuses. I'm sure Miami Dolphins fans are right now spitting that out. <laughs> but la- last season, they they had that trip to California, that you know they they opened the season with a four nothing win to Gardner Webb, yeah, and then they lose to Air Force, which was a good team. But then they go to California. They tie Cal State Fullerton and tie it or lose to UC Irvine, and it was it was kind of a gut punch considering there were high there were high expectations. But then obviously they turned it around pretty quickly, and I mean they made it to they were minutes away from a College Cup Final Four appearance. So heading into this Florida trip, and then I I, I kind of figured I thought okay, getting a win out of one of these would be fine. A win and a draw would be phenomenal and two wins would be great. But I I wasn't going to be shocked if it was like a tie or a loss. Uh, I was a bit shocked by the Florida international scoreline three to one because they were down three, nothing at some point, I believe Uh, FAU, I think now is currently ranked. So that's not as bad of a loss as it seems, but also hurricane Dorian decided to be a thing and push the game, the FIU game up a day. So that's back-to-back days of playing in South Florida heat. So I, I that to open up with that is pretty rough. And against Hofstra, that was when I kind of thought, okay, this is the true start to the season. This is where we're going to see kind of a this that it would be a good barometer. And it took them a long time, I think eighty minutes, uh, but they won two zero and then beat a pretty decent Loyola Maryland team, and then obviously a six nothing Elon win that. The fact that that happened and they didn't get votes, I think, really set the team off. Um, and, and obviously, the one nothing win yesterday. And uh, I hear what you say about the national championship expectations. And I, I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, yeah, pen them in. The team, however, has preached that. And ever since last spring, so if you ever see me tweet about it or write about it, just to clarify, uh, 
last spring was when I started to notice it is that they weren't content with the whole making the quarterfinals and being known as the Cinderella of the 2018 college cup. They, they saw that that happened. They were pissed off when they lost. And then they said, we want to win a national championship. And, uh, you know, it's top to bottom of everyone believes that I know Zazinski knows that Zazinski takes it one game at a time. Uh, as he Classic preaches, coach speak, I, I <laughs> segue for a second. Last night I told him, I, I thought this in my head. I said, do I ask him to not say the generic? I said, no, I'm just going to. And I asked him, just take a second. You practice and preach a next game mentality, but step back, take a second and talk about how you just beat the number one team in the country in front of nearly 1500 fans. And that's, when he said, I, you know what? I do want to talk about that. And I said, oh, I, I, I cracked it. I cracked the code. And he, goes, and he says, you know, tonight was the best environment he's ever had while at James Madison. And he thanked the crowd. And it, that was the first moment when I, not first, but that was kind of when I thought, wow, he's being genuine right now. This is how much this means to everyone on the team. But anyways, uh, they believe Carson Jeffress, TJ Bush, anyone on that team, they won a national championship. They believe they're the best team in the country and they believe they can beat anyone in the country. And quite frankly, I mean, yesterday did prove it, but obviously it's a long season. And they, in since he didn't know that he said, it's it, look, this isn't the end of our season. They have a lot of games and I don't think, and you're right. I don't, they very well could make a deep run in the tournament. And I do think it is – it's soccer. It is the way – you can never predict it with college soccer. Right. Uh, who's going to be good and who's yeah. not going to be good. Um, so, long season. But – and I'm not – again, I'm not going to label them as a national title contender. That's not out of the equation. They're, they're definitely in there as like a if, – if, if people did brackets, they're definitely in there as like, a, I'm going to pick them because I think they're a sleeper and they can, they can get hot at the right time. But they're definitely there. I think it's them. Yeah, so you mentioned getting hot. That kind of leads me to another question with this team. I mean, they play fantastic defense. We saw it last night. You get up 1-0, and then all of a sudden you can kind of play fantastic defense, strike on the counterattack, and really play in that. I mean, really their back two-thirds of the, the field really seem some of the best in the nation. Is that kind of the key? Is I mean, anchored by T.J. Bush, and it's a fantastic back third say even their back two-thirds is kind of that strong point of it and also moving forward now I mean we just talked about it they started 0-2 and now all of a sudden on a four-game win streak and they're looking really good and things might be starting to come together but now what is that key for them to finish out this this long season do you think the key is to stay healthy and I think you're completely right to say that back two-thirds that holding midfielder and Fernando Casero in that back line, uh, who lost Thomas Shores this year to graduation, which I, I thought that's going to be big shoes to fill. And I knew Tom jo- Judge was a capable player, but when Paul Zizinski said at O'Neill's on Monday that Tom Judge was one of the best wing backs in the country, he I don't think he's wrong. Tom Judge's attacking uh, threat from that wing back position is something that a lot of teams cannot handle. And yeah, that when you have a holding midfielder like Fernando Casero, who is, is known for his physical play. He had six fouls last night. Uh, no, but And uh, I think he was number one in yellow cards for a brief moment late in the season last year. But that's that's just his game. And when you have someone like that who 
you know is going to be physical, but not going to take it over the line and get sent off and end up, you know, screwing his team over. When you have someone like that, when you have a consistent back line who also has good subs, when uh, when Sean McKenna came in, I think it was Judge who had the injury. Sean McKenna yeah. came in and made a – he just – he sprinted, I don't know, like 20, 30 yards and uh, stops a counterattack, which was, I believe, a four-on-three – so when you have a player that can come off the bench and do something like that, and you already have a solid back four, and you already have uh, one of the best goalkeepers in the country, TJ, or in Division One men's soccer, TJ Bush, you're you're going to be fine, and it's uh, and you're totally right because Aaron Moore Baptiste graduated, so now they don't have a main number nine striker. Carson Jeffress is out uh, with an injury he sustained playing over summer, uh, a leg injury. And he's he's going to come back, but in the middle of the season. But that's something they have to adjust. And with more, if they add injuries to it, then all of a sudden your bench starts to thin out because those ben- those bench and role players are starting to get in more because other players are injured. But I think another key thing is the continuing development of the freshmen. Uh, Clay Obara, for example, uh, coach brings this up. He was the Gator. Or he was the Gatorade Player of the Year for the state of Virginia last year. Um, I don't know if Gatorade's a sponsor. If so, uh, th- you're welcome. Free advertisement. Um, <laughs> Send us the check. <laughs> he had the uh, he had the goal against Hofstra, the opening goal, and it was a phenomenal goal. It was a very well taken goal, and you would not expect a freshman to do that in his third collegiate game. And then Dennis Mensa has a 10 minute hat trick against Elon in his first. Uh, conference away game and Elon is I don't think JMU has ever beaten Elon before that they've drawn but I don't think they've ever beaten them I'll get into this I'll look I'll double check that yeah (laughs) yeah yeah uh, hold me see if that's uh, true but you know it's it's almost like the 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 eyes start to turn when you see two freshmen have that much production Uh, and coach always says you know the unsung hero of this team is like you said that kind of back line and defensive midfielders because those things don't show up on a stat sheet goals and assists do. And so do fouls. And obviously a lot of people interpret just fouls as bad play. Uh, so you have Manu Ferriol as the attack as well. And just the fact that they can have that solid defense. And then when they move the ball up the field uh, in the middle of it, you're going to get a player like Manu Ferriol. You're pretty set. Now when Jeffers returns, and he has that starting position because last year he rotated a lot with Aaron Ward-Baptiste. It's going to be – I think that's going to be a fun attack to watch. And that's something that uh, once he returns from injury, uh, assuming no complications, hoping for no complications, uh, I think that's going to be uh, – you're going to see kind of an increase in attacking threat and even more than already a team that scores six goals against Elon. And right. And it is correct real quick. Sorry to interrupt you. No, you're good. Go ahead. Jamie's never beaten Elon. So that was Woo! their first win. Huge. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to follow up. You mentioned the freshmen playing at a really high level. What do you think this kind of game and then last year's Elite Eight appearance, what do you think that does for recruiting? Because I know they brought in some freshmen, like you're mentioning, that are you know very talented players. Do you think this is a program that's going to be able to sustain this kind of success moving forward? So one of the, and we we hear this every time with new coaches that find success. We still hear it about Mike Houston and Everett Withers. Is that Who's Mike Houston? Oh, Jeez, never heard of him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> he who he who shall not be named on this podcast. Um, <laughs> when that you know you you get this new coach has success, 
the immediate excuse is, oh, he's using last year's players, players he did not recruit. Let's wait and see when he recruits. So I, I remember talking to a few people, and that was their concern about Paul Zizinski. It was, oh, he inherited Aaron Ward-Baptiste. He inherited Yannick Franz, uh, uh, Thomas Shores. Um, but having someone like Clay have a ve- very, very veteran-esque goal this early in the season shows, oh, wait, he can recruit. And having Dennis Metza score a hat-trick – oh, wait, he can recruit. So I think as of right now, it is looking good. Now, obviously, um, ask that question a year from today. Right. <laughs> and because once, uh, you know, once Manu graduates, once Gacero graduates, once you kind of lose a couple of those key role players in their attack, they're still going to have TJ and they're still going to have uh, Carson, uh, but they're, they're losing quality players. So uh, Bennett, to be honest, it is a great question. Just – Ask in a year, and you will definitely get a way better answer. Because as of right now, it is looking great. It is looking great for JMU's future when you have players doing that this early on. And if you know they continue to develop, there's no telling what they're going to do come postseason play. But yeah, it's looking great. But once once those players like Manu and Nando kind of come out of the lineup, we'll start to see more of the future landscape. We will book you. For September <laughs> September eighteenth, twenty twenty. I heard I heard a keyboard click. I heard I heard a click on the mouse pad. Is that added to the calendar? <laughs> yeah, hold that, me that to was, it. Yeah, hold me exactly. to it. Exactly. Calendar. Exactly. Hold me to it. I'll be I'll be here. <laughs> we'll do it. Yeah, I had another question, but I completely forgot what it was. So, yeah, yeah it happens. Does that lead? A, oh, just a quick, easy, yes or no, and then give me if yes, give me the number. Do you believe they get back into the rankings after this win? They have to. They have to. There's uh, <laughs> unless okay. Wait, wait. Ask me in five days. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but <laughs> we'll book we'll, you. Okay. Assuming assuming they beat Mount St. Mary's this weekend, uh, Saturday at seven. It's at home. Uh, assuming they do that, I don't see how you don't put them in that twenty spot. I'm I'm assuming because they haven't they didn't receive votes last. Uh, the last poll, uh, they might not get as high as I think the team wants, but I think they have to be anywhere between twenty to twenty-five because you don't be you don't go on a four-match win streak against a good team in Hofstra who made the, who JMU beat in penalties in the CA uh, championship last year. Uh, you beat a decent team in Loyola Maryland, Elon six nothing, and number one Wake Forest. Like uh, in any sport, if you rattle that off, you're getting ranked. And but. I will also say this. I think what makes this team play better is when they are very aware they are not getting respected on the national scale. Because last year when they st- I started to notice them talking about a little more on social media and to me in interviews, they were starting to they were starting to play really well. And especially through that tournament when, you know, they didn't get to host a game. They had to go to Holy or uh, High Point was the first match. You know, they had to go to Virginia Tech. They were, they were playing mad, and they were playing their best. So I think when they didn't receive votes and everyone was talking the match as if Wake Forest was going to come in and win and it would take a lot for JMU to get a win, which, I mean, if, if you pay attention to the soccer team, I think if anyone or anyone that does pay attention to this team knew they could beat Wake Forest, but just I, I don't see how they couldn't, in my opinion. 
I, I like, like that. that. Yeah. What, what do you guys? What do you, what do you? What do you guys think? I would agree with that personally. I mean, I feel like I think there was kind of like you were saying after the first two losses. I actually didn't know that the the second game to start the season was moved up. That's a good point about the Heat in South Florida. I think that there was kind of an overreaction after the first two, sort of moving them out and be like, oh, maybe last yeah. year was a blip on the radar. But then you pick up the four wins. The the win over number one Wake. I think a lot of times in these polls you have. I don't even know exactly who's voting, but I think a lot of times they're not watching all the games. They're just kind of checking on headlines. But this one drew a pretty good headline in the world yeah. of college soccer. Yeah. So I think that's enough of like a media push that you're right up to beat Mount St. Mary's. They're five and two, five consecutive wins. They've got a win over the number one team in the country. That was they were close to unanimously number one. I know they were a pretty strong number one. Yeah. So it's a it's a win that I think they'll they'll move back into the top twenty five. Yeah, they have to. If they don't, I'd. I question the the <laughs> ranking system. I, I, yeah, I don't think they move up that high just because if they're not receiving votes now, I don't know if the voters necessarily really have their eyes on them. But yeah, like you guys have said, you beat a number one, you wake is going to think, I think take a little bit of a tumble in the polls. And then I, I, I think Jam will probably find its way into like the 24, 25 spot. Yeah, right. that sounds about fair. Jack, maybe we should talk to uh, Josh Swanson and see if he has a take on, on what might happen in the polls. Oh, is that that, that, uh, that, uh, <laughs> that, uh, let's get, okay. So he, that's a perfect transition as I throw my pen across the room. So we're going to move into football. We talked about it last week on the podcast. We want your opinion. Now, Lawrence Smith and this Swanson guy from North Dakota state are in a war of words on Twitter. Lawrence Smith, a, a noted JMU supporter, but he's also the admin of the FCS fans nation. And he's one of the, biggest voices in terms of FCS football. He knows what's going on. He knows the ins and outs of FCS, but he's also, like we said, a diehard JMU football fan. Yet he has a vote in the Stats FCS poll. Bennett and I both gave our takes on it. I just want to know, do you agree with FCS having him in their voting system? If he's a diehard JMU fan, then no. No, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't agree with that because um, – I, I can see why it's if he if he knows the ins and outs and proves that he isn't I guess by well what see, if I the more I talk you, about what if I told you he's only ever put JMU number one in the poll once see I was gonna say that if he proves that he is not going to be biased toward JMU then I don't see why not if he's a if he proves that he also has a lot of knowledge on um, FCS football. However, I, and I know this isn't the same nearly, but I, I'm kind of drawing this connection between how the NFL doesn't allow referees that are fans of teams to referee their games or divisional games, I think. So I, I don't that's, – that's interesting. Bennett, what was your take? Yeah, so my take was basically that um, I think one of the arguments was that the issue with the poll, because the poll has a lot of questionable rankings in it, the issue with the poll is that fans are in it, and I don't think that's true. But if if the FCS stats twenty top twenty five poll wants to be viewed like the you know the FBS AP top twenty five poll, then yeah, of course they shouldn't have fans in it. But if they're if they're actually trying to get to the root issue of why the poll is kind of questionable and and not great a lot of the time, it's because they're like SIDs who don't watch games, who don't pay attention to games, yep. and then put in a vote that's very inaccurate. So I mean. I think it comes down to like stats and sort of deciding what they want to be. But yeah, I would agree that if you're trying to have like an elite poll, like the best of the best kind of thing, 
I mean, you can't have people who are like diehard. Yeah, but at that point, do you think it's maybe the FCS almost trying to say, yeah, we're not the AP poll, so let's we might as well do what we want to do and have fun with it? Or do you think it's kind of like you said, or I don't know, like, I guess having someone that's just knowledgeable in general? Yeah, for me, I'm fine with it. Honestly, I think it generates discussion because the fans tend to always release their top 25 poll on Twitter, actually, which generates like an actual conversation about it. So I kind of like that they're in it just because I feel like the FCS like needs that kind of content, needs that kind of discussion around the subdivision. So I have absolutely no issue with it. And it's not one that really counts or it doesn't count. It might like implicitly somehow, you know, like subconsciously. Um, alter like maybe the playoff committee if they're really looking at it. But I think for the most part, it doesn't have an effect on um, like the playoff seedings. It's really just like what you might see hypothetically. Somebody said it was like what you would see on the ESPN bottom line. And I'm like, I've never seen an FCS top yeah. on my bottom line, but <clears throat> I guess if it, if it comes up, that's where it's coming from. So I don't have an issue with it just because I think it's the FCS is sort of a little more casual kind of than the, the FBS at this point. Beautiful. Now, Segging way, segging way, or segwaying? In, I like segging way. Um, Jamie, you just crushed Morgan State. Noah, you were there in the press box watching it. Ben and I both caught it on Madison, but really, what did you see from this team? I mean, Ravenel had himself a day. Danucci <clears throat> was fantastic again. Brandon Polk is dynamic as ever. And who's going to be the number one running back? All questions I have. Oh, man. There's. See, so quickly, takeaways. This is pretty much like every week is the same questions I have for Signetti at O'Neill's. It's just who the hell is going to be the number one running back? Like, but this, this, so I agree. Brandon Polk is low key, just have been, has been such a good addition for this wide receiving core. I and can't wait until it, Riley comes in this next week took, and then you took the words right out of my mouth yeah you have brandon you have polk on one side who's you give him a three yard and then hook route and you hit and have Danucci hit him quick he does a quick little head fake and he scampers for 15 yards or you have a fade in the reds like it they're just so dynamic but sorry to interrupt no it's all you, you took the words right out of my mouth when you have brandon polk who has that ability to make a quick like pop route and just go ahead and take the ball and run uh, you, you that already is an advantage because that's such a hard thing to guard as like a defensive back. But throw in Riley Stapleton, and you ha- all of a sudden you have someone who is six five, who has is just known to moss it. You, you have someone who has that presence who requires the attention from defensive backs. So the minute you have people draw into Riley. All of a sudden, you have one of the fastest players on the offense, just either on a one-on-one or easy to break loose in Brandon Polk. That's that's going to open up a lot of doors, and I think Chattanooga is only going to prove that. Um, another takeaway I have is that Ben DiNucci is getting better as the season goes on. However, uh, I think to in or, or until I can, I guess, erase last season and be for sure that he has improved over the summer, Chattanooga will be telling. Elon will be telling these this away trip will tell if we have seen Ben DiNucci kind of take that stride into being a consistent quarterback. Another thing is that they could obviously spread the ball very well. Um, I mean, what was it? Three quarterbacks do touchdowns. 
uh, six or seven. I don't, I don't remember. It was one of those numbers, uh, different players scoring a touchdown in general. That's, I mean, a lot, that's very impressive. Um, another thing is that, like you said, running backs, nobody knows what's going to happen. Um, with Solomon, definitely. He didn't, he got a little unlucky almost. It, he would get, he, I think the first drive, he got pretty close, but he always get tackled at the one. Um, but Percy definitely needed that game in terms of him kind of not getting written off in the running back discussion. Uh, having those two touchdowns definitely helped with confidence and it definitely, uh, it definitely kind of made things a little bit more interesting. And Austin Douglas, uh, didn't get to see much, but, um, this rotation I think is just w- exactly what Signetti wants. And he, he appreciated in the off season that he wanted to run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. And the fact that he has four absolutely capable running backs that could probably start on most FCS teams as the number one guy. That's, I mean, you're, you're going to be a happy coach and then throw in freshman Latrell Palmer who got some game. He got some, fourth quarter minutes against Morgan state. So take that as you will, but another true freshman uh, comes from good council high school in Maryland in the WCAC, which uh, if that's one of the toughest uh, conferences in the country for high school football, but the come in eight carries 58 yards, a, a lar- or the longest game 26, pretty decent for a uh, debut yeah, Latrell Palmer is somebody that I wrote about a lot in the offseason. He's somebody that didn't get a lot of play in the first two weeks, but when he got in there, this game, I was personally very excited because he was someone I thought could be JMU's short yardage back, but he hadn't gotten a lot of play like that. Noah, do you think that's something that could actually happen in the future, or do you think with this redshirt rule that he's more more likely to get you know a few reps? In uh, the Chattanooga games? will definitely be the kind of, I think, I think Signetti's going to, depending on how the game goes, I think Signetti's going to kind of see what happens. And if uh, Latrell Palmer goes out there and shows Signetti, uh, like you said, can be a great short yardage back, then I do think the idea of him redshirting this year, uh, the chances kind of go down. Uh, now, Signetti also has preached for the past few weeks because a lot of these redshirt questions come up. He says – the players who are playing well are going to play no matter what. It's, I'm not going to worry about redshirting someone if they're doing well just for the sake of having them in the future. So Latrell Palmer is definitely along that line of I'm not going to redshirt him just for the sake of redshirting him, keeping him here for another year uh, and developing him. If he's good, he's going to play. Um, but definitely that short yardage. Uh, I remember last year on ESPNU, uh, St. John's up in BC was uh, playing good counsel and my dad and I were watching and we saw Latrell Palmer. We saw this running back for good counsel, just bowling ball his way through. And St. John's is one of the best teams in the country with a five-star linebacker, five-star defensive lineman. And my dad and I were thinking, who is this guy? And you know, how many offers he has? The only FBS offer offers he has the service academies, Navy, army, air force. Uh, all all wow. triple option teams. So the fact that those are, in, you know, when you say, oh, this prospect only had three FBS offers, you might go, eh, okay. But the fact that those three schools are trying to get a running back tells me, yeah, this, this guy definitely has short yardage skill. And at 5'11", uh, he definitely has, he has that wide frame. He definitely can, you know, like, I guess, rumble his way through. I hate using that word. Uh, r- like, <laughs> rumbling, <through>. tumbling. <laughs> five, 
Think about this. 5'11", 228. That is just wow. He also had an offer from Morgan State. Uh, yeah, awkward. And uh, yeah, right. And he, and Tal and Talford too. <laughs> Man, he's gonna have a he's gonna wow. have a revenge tour for a little bit. But he, he just there's this and Rhode Island. Wow. So so he, he, he <laughs> definitely presents really this. Hard, yeah. Right? <laughs> uh, he has he definitely presents this opportunity. Um, I almost think Signetti is having a running back battle for two spots. One of them is that skill back, that Van Horse and Jawan Hamilton, I kind of think of as, you know, good runners, but uh, also kind of threats when you're on a passing play. Um, Then there's Percy and Luttrell who are both just, they will run you over and they have a little bit of speed to them. And Austin Douglas, who's to me, a mixture of both uh, definitely has a lot of uh, speed and skill. Um, I almost think it's a battle for who's going to be the number one, kind of speed back, you know, burst play kind of guy. And who's going to be the, we need two yards for a first down. We're going to give it to him um, kind of back. But another player that uh, I'm curious to try to figure out what the situation is going on is uh, three-star running back CJ Jackson, who uh, I haven't heard pretty mm, much anything yeah. about him. Um, I haven't either. I, I, he, he, I thought the plan for him was possibly a red shirt, but I really, I guess I just assume that based off of like him not yeah. being in any talk or rotation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, yeah, at, uh, I've, I've watched some of his tape, and he definitely seems like the uh, a running back who takes on being the number one running back. Well, uh, but at five nine, one ninety eight, Signetti is not. Uh, that that kind of frame, uh, I'm curious to see where Signetti kind of le- stands in this because we, we kind of talked about this earlier. This was not a Signetti recruit. This was Mike Houston. Same with everyone, every other freshman we talk about, um, or player for that matter, uh, and Everett Weathers. Shout out if you're listening, Everett. Um, <laughs> Everett's, uh, Everett's one, one of, of our listeners. For sure. Uh, I, yeah, when he's not when he's not horribly coaching yeah. the Giants secondary. He's not, like, not what are they not to be about me again. Jack, you might need to cut this out. Or, I mean, from what I've heard, I feel like his wife definitely listens to anything that his husband's name is mentioned for her husband's. Yes, or she, or her Twitter account is is conveniently hacked when she says. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. Wait, what yeah. happened with this? Take a side tangent. I haven't heard this story. <laughs> she tweeted a thing about like how she the beat writer used to be at the DNR. Um, tweeted he was kind of weird with his questioning of Withers, so I sort of understood why Withers was frustrated. But then Withers left or something, and then she ended up tweeting at him, like, we're not going to miss you. And then, like, an hour later, they're like, our account was hacked. It's like, who would hack your account? And tweet ah, that. okay. But, no, it, it wasn't, like, really that big a deal. I think everyone sort of just moved yeah. on. Now, nowadays, they, that's just basic petty wars. Yeah. Right, exactly. Okay, but, so, sorry. Sorry to interrupt on that. Um, carry on. Nah, that's all. <laughs> <laughs> CJ Jackson was not... Mike Houston or not Signetti's recruit, he was yeah. Mike Houston's. And I'm curious to see what the plan is for him. Now he I haven't heard anything about him entering the portal. So that does lead me to say that he is just getting it at redshirted this year and then next year they'll see where he stands. Or he could be dealing with an injury and maybe he could be available this week or in the coming weeks, but since we're nearing that kind of week four cut line for the red shirt, they might just go ahead and say, We're gonna redshirt you. Uh, definitely might have to. I'll try to figure that out, and I'll uh, 
get it back to you guys what what the situation is. But uh, definitely, they definitely are set for the future, especially with Percy here for another year, Van Horse, Douglas. Signetti's set. Signetti's got a set. Yeah. Yeah, that's an, an interesting thing, and I don't really have a take on that necessarily, but I do think it's interesting that Jackson hasn't played because they can do the – so the transfer thing, I think this is when we got cut off earlier. But, or the red shirt, sorry. The red shirt is like just four participation oh, games. Okay. So they could play Jackson whenever within the four. My thing, though, is like if you're Jackson and you haven't played, and I don't want to speculate about like someone transferring when I have absolutely no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. But it, it does seem – difficult at this point just like looking through the future because van horse is like a red shirt freshman right so he's got the three years after this you've got douglas who he clearly very very much likes and then you've got palmer now and those are three guys that have like i don't imagine a jamie running back ever leaving early to go pro so i would imagine you would have three more years of that so if you're jackson who missed he did miss his entire senior season with like a some knee injury i Mm -hmm. believe um, so it's, he's definitely playing catch up, I guess at this point, which is a tough place to be, but I mean, he's an electric running back from what I've seen on, on film and his high school tape. So it's interesting. Um, and I don't know if that's something, how much clarity we'll get, obviously you're on the beat. So, so you might be able to get some clarity on that, but it'll be interesting to see if they use him at all moving forward. Now that they've played the two sort of cupcake games and you imagine that they'll sort of figure out their, their starting backs moving forward. But Something I'm interested in because I thought he was a guy that I was I was excited yeah. to watch him play. I think he's a really dynamic back. Yeah, that's going to be really interesting to see. I completely had forgotten about him. I mean, through all like the hype that surrounded Van Horse and Douglas and Percy, like coming in, mm-hmm. like I just remember through fall, like uh, spring practice, those were the guys that were getting all the talk, and then the ga- the practices before season during the summer. Like, those were the guys. It was it was who's going to be, who's going to get to all the carries. And Jackson's name was never mentioned. So, Bennett, like you said, I wonder if it is he's playing catch-up. Last year he was recovering and rehabbing, and I wonder if now he was kind of right. – again, I don't want to put anything. This is m- complete speculation, but maybe he's just like now he has to get back in shape. Maybe he wasn't in game shape, so now it's – maybe it is just – Take take him off this season, redshirt him, and let him kind of get back into the swing of football, especially at the collegiate level. Definitely, definitely. And switching gears, I do have a, a hot take. Okay, I'm gonna, oh, this. Okay, okay. I'm gonna mark I, this down this time code. So I, I will have you guys for this. Come on, give it to me. Okay, cool. I will have you guys both respond to this hot take. You can decide whatever order you guys like but you, Noah you had mentioned Danucci earlier and like the importance of this three game stretch to see if he's improved I think that's a very fair and valid take in assessing him my hot take is that for the JMU fans that are sort of on the anti Danucci bandwagon the ones that are always questioning every <laughs> throw he makes I don't think there's anything he can do except for win a national championship to please them that's my hot take no I'll let you go first I don't think that's hot at all. I was expecting I was expecting you to say something along the lines of Cole Johnson should probably would be a better fit. Um, <laughs> that'd be a scorching see, take. No, that I actually wouldn't think that is scorching. It'd be definitely a hot take, but like low key, see it's it's definitely gonna be interesting to see how the dynamic of how what Riley Stapleton does to how the wide receivers are kind of utilized. Uh 
Definitely. If if Signetti tries the deep ball a little more, which I noticed against Morgan State, he did. Um, so if he tries a little bit more, Cole Johnson's got a hell of an arm. Now, le- now let me stop you there for one reason. And one reason. <laughs> I'm not, we do not hold on. Slander on this podcast. Hold on. Hold on. Me, hold on. Hold on. You gotta let me finish because, quite frankly, I do need to put an asterisk and say pure speculation. My opinion, my take does not reflect uh, any information that I have. Uh, whatever. <laughs> Cole Johnson has a hell of an arm. Now, against as the seasons progressed. Uh, against West Virginia, I think the big problem was Danucci's arm strength didn't allow kind of any big time play opportunities. But as this again, the season goes on, I noticed he's starting to kind of connect with these, you know, ten to fifteen yard out routes. Now he he did have a few at the beginning of the Morgan State game that I think a decent to good cornerback would have housed it. Um, but again. They played Morgan State, yeah. Um, right. But I do think his arm strength is improving. And just by the sheer fact that he can use his legs to get out of so many situations is just crucial to this offense and extending plays. Because once you have speed guys like Paul, even Jawan Hamilton, Jake Brown, once you have those guys and you have Danucci scrambling and you have the ability to move where you want to get him the opportunity to throw the ball, yeah, the offense is set. And Cole Johnson – doesn't have the speed as Danucci. Now, I will say Danucci's problem is that he just doesn't know when to get rid of the ball. And I think he doesn't know when kind of the point is to just say, this play's done, throw it away. Uh, I think we saw that against West Virginia, that fourth quarter interception that sent JMU Nation into flames. <laughs> but I'm going to sit here and put on the record my opinion Ben Danucci's in no danger of losing his starting job and shouldn't get as much criticism as he does. Uh, he should not lose his job because he throws a fourth-quarter interception against a – okay, I shouldn't say Big 12 team because Big 12 is an for defense. Against a, <laughs> a perennial FCS top 25 team in most years. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, to kind of answer Bennett's hot take – Yes, the only way for him to gain respect is to win a national championship. But even then, so I don't think he would get the respect because I think fans would be like, well, he was a game manager and his only job this season was not to lose the games. And the <laughs> wow, that really sounds, wanted this national sounds kind of familiar. Huh, man. Uh, <laughs> sorry, it really works me up. I, I also – That's what uh, they say about <laughs> Russell Wilson. That's me. I also realized I never actually responded to the take. I kind of I kind of forgot what the take was. <laughs> and I just assumed that I was talking about Danucci, and I brought up Cole Johnson, and you said no Danucci slanders. And I was like, wait, that's the take that – yeah, and then I forgot that that wasn't the take. Um, <laughs> it's been a long day, man. Um, I understand. So – yeah, I, I agree. I, I agree with Jack. It's it's going to be a national championship. Or I, I don't want to say bust because if you look at it without – from a kind of clear lens, yeah, it's not a bust if you win a – or it's not a bust if you get to the FCS semifinals for most schools. Yeah. But he, he's definitely – he definitely it, sees, sees the criticism and he lets it go. And that's, I think, the most important thing he can do. It's also not fair to, to Ben that – he's being compared to two of arguably the greatest quarterbacks in JMU school history. Mm-hmm. Like 
he's coming off of Vadley's electrifying what two years in Harrisonburg, and then Brian Shore easily takes the reins and wins a a title and takes him back to a second one in two years. So it's not really fair to Ben in terms of who we're comparing him to, but because of that, the only way he'll get respect is if he wins a national championship this year. And yeah, he's a senior, so that's all he can do. But I, 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 yeah. I also (laughs) want to say, do you remember how quickly some, I don't know about JMU fans in general, but I know a lot of JMU students, uh, not last year, but um, so two years ago, 2017-18. Remember how quickly they turned on shore when, you know, all of a sudden their offense isn't lighting up the scoreboard? Yeah, and, and, I, and that kind of leads me into this next point that when you were talking about the, the big arm of Cole Johnson and things of that sort, I, I don't think – and, it, was, and it, was, it wasn't Brian's fault then either, and it's not Ben's fault now that we don't see his big arm as much. I really just think it's the coaching staffs that they don't want to air it out necessarily as much because Mm -hmm. last year I really looked, I went back and I had to look through every single game tape. Um, Long story. I had to get a reel together. It was not a lot of fun, but (laughs) Danucci would uncork it sometimes. And he had some pretty solid deep accuracy and he could get it there. He, I mean, he's not a Patrick Mahomes type in terms of in air talent, but I mean, he can get it there. He can get that long pass down. I mean, they ran the play a lot with uh, Eldridge, and it's not really Danucci's fault that Eldridge isn't the best uh, receiver out there. No offense to Eldridge, but, I mean, that's not who I want running my deep route to catch the ball. So, I mean, it's not really Danucci's fault. <laughs> no, no offense. We're seems to insult him. Just, but that's my take on that. I think, I, I think I'm in the very small minority in terms that I love Danucci's arm. I love his decision-making. I, I think Colgate's the outlier. And if you look at other decisions he made, I mean, we beat Towson last year and Rhode Island in convincing fashion. He, he, he does enough to win games. And he was outside of the New Hampshire game last year. I think if he had a good game there, I think he's a first team all CAA, second team all CAA behind uh, Flacco. That's fair. Do you guys know who the last quarterback aside from Ben DiNucci was to throw five and probably Vad Lee? It was Vad Lee, yeah. And then he also threw four touchdowns in the next week. He like threw for two hundred and seventy five yards and ran. For I've talked about yards, this so, like, so many uh, times on this podcast. We forget about Vad Lee's turnover problems. Like he averaged three kind of, picks. Threw a ton he of interceptions. Three picks a game. He just never threw them in <laughs> on a fourth quarter game winning drive. Granted, you wouldn't have had to have that fourth quarter fourth quarter game winning drive that he seemed to lead every game if he didn't throw the three picks earlier in the game. But that's none of my business. Manufactured like, adversity. Get him. <laughs> yes, uh, I love bad, but I mean. And he was a fantastic quarterback. He just did throw a lot of picks, and JMU Nation tends to forget that and then get mad at Ben when he throws a pick. Yeah, yeah. And, exactly. and that, in, that, in that game that kind of uh, was Vad Lee's, hey, JMU Nation, I'm here, the SMU game, uh, three touchdowns, three interceptions. <laughs> Elite. Yeah, he's a, a turnover-prone guy. But he's also yeah electric. All right, so moving ahead, big three game road test that we've talked about a little bit. I'll go through Noah and then Jack. What are your thoughts on what would be a successful road trip in terms of record? So is it two and one, three and zero? Oh? What do you guys have as the record for a successful 
Rather Noah, true. set me up for uh, for success here. Go first. Oh, all right. <laughs> um, all right. So in terms of what would be considered a good road trip by fans, uh, three and zero. Uh, yeah. I think fans at this point are almost expecting to just finish the season without a loss, and that you could say undefeated if you don't want to include the FBS opponent. Uh, <laughs> even despite the fact they should have won. So uh, yeah. So they they I think the expectation and the standard is undefeated, which. I mean, not a lot of fans can say that. So that's that's. A, I want anyone listening to take a moment and be thankful. Um, signed Redskins fan. Anyways, uh, Ch- definitely Chattanooga win. Elon's going to be interesting. Obviously, seeing that he's homecoming game. Uh, I'm excited to be there for that. That's going to be interesting to see kind of uh, how Elon responds because Signetti. Signetti is the. He described himself as a CEO type of head coach, and I've. It's so true. He, we TJ Eck asked him after the um, West Virginia game. You know what? What did what did it feel like? You know, going out onto uh, West Virginia's field, considering he spent so much time around that program. And he goes, "I've done this for so long. It was just another game. Like anyone else would be emotional about that. If I." <laughs> For me, if I'm hired the head basketball coach at uh, Cincinnati and I'm walking onto that court for my first game, I'm going to get a little, not crying per se, but uh, just I'm going to, you know, <laughs> it's going to tug on the heartstrings. It's that he just goes, right. nah. It, it, he's such a he's such a business, all business guy, but uh, I, I – I saw the video of the you know the tradition of the post uh, win fights on the locker room and he was in it and he you can tell he doesn't know the words and you know he's and he's, he's awkwardly he's, jumping. God, I, that, it's like a like a tiny. Yeah, yeah, is, this you, is this how I is this how I interact with my players? <laughs> it's uh, it, it's hard to it's it's when you see Signetti smile, you know he's happy. And when you and seeing him smile for the duration of the fight song and he, seeing him actually happy and you know embracing this culture, it, that's a good sign of Signetti. But and I think he's going to keep that standard up. And again, to finish that road trip, I think is the biggest game that's at Stony Brook. Um, I talked with a few players at Media Day this year who allowed me to put their names on this, but. Thankfully for them, I don't know their names. Um, they were very open about how they were not fans of JMU. They were not fans of how they Stony Brook get a shot. Yes. Um, I also just realized that me forgetting their names has nothing to do with it because there's only two players that show at the media day. So, whoops. Um, but they, <laughs> they, I, I told them, I said, you, you can be not, you're anonymous for this. They go, no, you can put our name to this. And they proceeded to say, we were mad that we had to go to JMU twice last year um, or the year before that. Uh, they feel like they haven't had a true chance to play JMU at, at Stony Brook. They haven't had that, I guess, what they would say, fair chance to play JMU. And then they also said, we asked, okay, uh, who's going to win CAA? And uh, or we said outside of you guys, who's going to win the CAA? And they both said Towson pretty quickly. Which now that they're running backs out for the season, uh, 
which right. awful news, by the way. ACL and MCL, that's that's yeah. terrible. Um, because I, I was really looking forward to that House and JMU game this year. But anyways, uh, with that, that's you know obviously that prediction probably won't happen. But they're going to be ready now. Uh, now I think in JMU's case, it might be a game of JMU saying we've been here before. Uh, oh no, and tough road game. And Stony Brook may be a little too hyped for the occasion. So, the, and I only get that impression because they were so willing to put their names on it, which shows that they were wanting to have JMU see that and relay it back to them. Um, they did, I, I will say this, they did have uh, a lot of praise for Rashad Robinson, um, a lot of praise just in general for their offensive line. Uh, their veteran presence, kind of Mac Patrick, uh, they, they were they were praising that. So not say that they were dogging JMU, no pun intended, um, <laughs> for a couple of minutes. But yeah, it was definitely that's definitely going to be a bit interesting. Um, my prediction is three and zero. I think Jack and I learned this two years ago when we picked against JMU that if you ever go against JMU on the record, you will be told to transfer. Um, I don't know if you remember <laughs> that, Jack. Um. I I was told that a lot of times throughout my uh, years. So, <laughs> yeah, I think what game, was, uh, the the, what game was it? Game. It was. It was a lot. The round one, table we had. That one turned out hey, well for you guys. Down. We'd win it. I no, really following, <laughs> following that Weaver State game, nobody can say that picking South Dakota State to win that game is out of the question. That's what I think frustrated me. I. Let the record show I correctly predicted a 10 turnover <laughs> oh, game to the Jackrabbits. <laughs> oh, my God. We all saw it coming. Next week, I was, like, been so on the JMU bandwagon that I, like, was completely overconfident. <laughs> I was like, they're going to crush North Dakota State. And then, uh, oops. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, you're right not to go on. the. I mean, it's, it's – JMU will make you pay if you go on the record and vote against them. But saying that, I'm gonna say a two and one record is a successful, a genuinely <gasps> successful road trip. I think a two and one record's really good. I predicted it in a week by week prediction before the season started. I thought they'd beat West Virginia and then lose to Stony Brook and finish the season with one loss. But I stand by. I think Stony Brook's the trap, the trap game in this scenario. I mean, Chattanooga is a good team, but unranked. I think you can go and you should win that game. Elon's going to be an emotional high of a game. I mean, you're playing a team that beat you last year in, in a game that you don't feel like you should have lost, and you snap so many winning streaks with that loss. And it, to top it on, the coach you poached away from Elon is now back. And then you, I think you're going to win that game, but I think it's going to be such an emotional win that it kind of drains you for that next week in Stony Brook is poised. They want to show you what it's like to play in Stony Brook. I mean, I don't want to see JMU lose because I'll be at that Stony Brook game. Um, but I think JMU loses it. So I think a 2 and one record here is successful, and a 2 and one record here sets you up for success down the road. That's fair. Bennett, what do you think? I like those takes. Um, I guess I kind of agree with Jack in terms of like the fans are looking for the the winning out, but I think for me though, I think they should like for the team, I think successful is three and oh. Like Chattanooga I don't think is very good. Um Jacksonville State ended up beating them fairly handily. 
they just got shut out by Tennessee and Tennessee is having a very down year in terms of FBS teams. Like they should beat Chattanooga. They're a three touchdown favorite. They should win that game. Elon is a pretty solid team, but if, I mean, if Jamie wants to say it's a national championship contender and it's going to go at Elon at Stony Brook, I think it should win at least, at least one of those games. And I think it'll be favored in both and should have a chance to win both. Um, yeah, so I mean, if the team wants to be where I think the team considers itself, which is in the national championship, like we're in North Dakota State's realm, well, then you saw what they just did to Delaware. You've seen what they've done in years past. Then I think you should go 3-0. and Realistically, I think there's a loss or two left on this schedule for JMU. Um, even Towson without their star running back, still a good team. William & Mary is much improved this year. Going to William and Mary, Villanova at home. <clears throat> William and Mary's a low key chat. Like the next, <clears throat> sorry, I had to clear that on my phone. Yeah, yeah, I think it is. And the next, I mean, the next six games, you got four road games that are all really challenging. I don't think Chattanooga is that hard, but it's not like an easy game, so to speak. Villanova and Towson are good. Uh, the last three, I don't really think are all that scary, but you never really know. So yeah, I think there's probably at, at least one loss somewhere in there, just because. Like, I don't think we learned much from JMU in the yeah. first three games. I think they looked solid against West Virginia, and then they beat up on two cupcakes. But Danucci can still make, you know, mistakes. The defense isn't perfect. Rashad Robinson's banged up. We don't really know. I think he's day-to-day. We don't really know how that's going to yeah. work. I mean, I just – I don't know. I think there are losses left on the schedule because the schedule's – like, Jamie's not so far above the FCS that some of the fans think it is. That I think a loss or two is reasonable. That's true. Um, what really worries me with this Chattanooga game, though, looking at it, I'm trying to pull up their statistics for their um, uh, wide receivers because a friend of mine – Yeah, they do a friend have, of yeah. mine told me they had really good wide receivers. Um, but I haven't really looked at film because I'm not going to study film for this game. But – so I'll take his word. I mean – so far, they've Bryce Nunley, none, none in. They've Bryce, uh, who was 15 <laughs> receptions for 194 yards and a touchdown. Another guy who was five receptions for 100. I mean, they do have some good receiving threats. So, the injuries to the secondary are what scared me. We saw what West Virginia did, and I know it's an FBS opponent, but we saw what they did against our secondary, just picking it apart at times with Austin Kendall. So, for Shard, if if he's down for the game, I mean. And what Oliver might be still a little bit banged up. Tut might be a little bit banged up. I'm a, it it those those injuries to him. I, I but I really think the the big injury to Rashad is him being day to day. Is that's going to kind of make the game. But I do think Jamie should win it. But that does severely worry me for this game. I think that's fair. Yes, we'll see how it goes. Yes, but I think it. It should be good. Noah, you mentioned the the um, low-key trap game. If you had to pick a game or two left on the schedule, is there one that stands out? I know you mentioned Stony Brook. Is there maybe another game uh, that stands out as a, as a big one or a potential threat? Uh, uh, yeah, as, I, as uh, William Mary. I think that is a um, – mm-hmm. just there's every time I look at the schedule and kind of run through it and go, how's each team doing, I get to William Mary. And it's interesting because it's kind of – the two years I've been at JMU and kind of focused on the CAA, it's, I mean, William Mary hasn't exactly been the best at football. And now you they get Mike London. Yeah, and you get, and you get a guy like Mike London, and I get it, his time at UVA. Like, 
wasn't exactly the best for his career, but he's won an FCS national championship. He knows how to get it done at the FCS level. And I think that was low key, a phenomenal hire by William and Mary, which was negated by yeah. whatever they did with their men's basketball team, but, <laughs> whatever. Um, but that being in Williamsburg, that is their homecoming game, which last year on their homecoming game, they beat Maine, a game that everyone didn't pay attention to or nobody paid attention to because everyone kind of figured Maine was going to just leave with a win. But no, William Mary won. Um, I just, there's just something about it. I, there's something about that game. Uh, other than that, I think they're going to be fine against Towson, which in my opinion, uh, outside of Stony Brook, uh, probably is the hardest, I guess, on paper, most even game they're going to get. Um, right. Which, yeah. And going back to the prediction, I, I do want to say, yeah, three and O for the fans, but two and one is like, like you guys said, two and one is definitely kind of the mm-hmm. realistic, but uh, in terms of trap games, I definitely think William Mary is something to be scared about. I don't know. What do you guys think? I think Stony Brook's the trap game. Agree with that. What do you think, Bennett? I think the William Mary one's an interesting pick because they have looked a lot better. Um, the homecoming stat was a really good one. And then I think, I don't know, maybe this is a weird thing, but when I look at JMU's schedule, I almost ignore the entirety of November because <laughs> I don't think New Hampshire's good. I don't think Richmond good. And I don't think Rhode Island, even at Rhode Island, is good, which is crazy to say that I'm just ignoring a month. But I just don't think those games are really that that's scary. I think the next like six are hard. If Jamie gets through the next six, like six now, then I think you can, you can pencil them in as a top two seed. Um, but even if they lose, I think they've got a or good go chance here, like a top eight, but mm-hmm. right. <laughs> yes, you never know what will happen with the committee and who knows, maybe the committee will give votes <laughs> to the stats really FCS voters. And then we're just going to have yeah bias on our hands. But yeah, I mean, I think the William Mary one's probably probably a realistic trap game, and and Villanova I think will be a little bit tougher than some people think. But none of the games until November are easy. I think November you can just you know put on a flannel or some sort of fleece jacket, get a get a brew in Bridgeforth and relax because I don't think they're going to have too much trouble. Uh, Man, that's the, fact that, the fact that you can say uh, brew at Bridgeforth. Oh, I did learn about the soccer game to kind of full tie it together. Paul's is Paul's is no. Paul's <laughs> sat down with Greek organizations and said, "What do I need to do to get you guys to come out?" And what would they say? The, fratern- the fraternity guy, the fraternity guy, <laughs> looked at him and goes, "Beer." Just and I and it was too. There was uh, not enough time to kind of get through the hoops of allowing that since. Uh, Sentara Park's an interesting because it's a non-ticketed venue. Uh, you don't even it's the clear bag policy. Mm-hmm. It's not uh, it's not at Sentara, which is interesting. But um, I'm just thinking: imagine if they had the philanthropic contest and sold beer. I that that place would crack <laughs> two thousand easily if you get the just the entire fraternities to come to a soccer match against the number one team in the country. At that point, you almost need to also schedule a quote JMU fan tailgate. And I put air quotes around that as if I'm on camera um, for whatever reason. And just, I, I, and I just, I'm kind of mad that that also wasn't a thing because just 
I'm just now now I'm thinking, okay, so you have all of these and, and I'm not gonna lie, all, it was more sororities and fraternities for the philanthropic uh contest. But imagine just you have the sorority showing up, fraternity showing up. At that point, if you're gonna sell beer, you're gonna get casual JMU fans to show up. That play they they could have moved it to Bridgeport. They should have. They should have resurfaced <laughs> the entire thing and said, I mean who who still played? New England Revolution still plays at Gillette Stadium. Why can't we play? Sounders still play in CenturyLink Field. Yeah, and FC Cincinnati is at Nippert Stadium. Where Cincinnati? I think, I think Atlanta <laughs> United play in the Mercedes Dome, right? Uh, that, that's like the big asterisk, asterisk in terms of uh, teams that play at football fields. Is like everyone else has a complaint, but when you get to Atlanta, it's like, ah, nah, you guys stay. Like you guys don't deserve your own stadium. Like you, you're you're taken care of. True. It's like that place is nice. Yeah. Now, I think DC United should just go ahead and move back to RFK along with the Redskins. There's we'll my. Into a, a, a yeah. <laughs> There's my hot take. <laughs> the stadium hot take. Yeah, I love it. All right, Noah. We will let you go here, but before you go. Please plug your socials and everywhere people can find you so that they can read your great content well, regularly. You can find me on Twitter uh, on, on Twitter at Noah Ziegler. That's N-O-A-H-Z-I-E-G-L-E-R. Uh, not going to give my phone number out. It's kind of weird. Um, you can go to <laughs> breezejmu.org uh, slash sports, I believe, to go to Breeze Sports, where you can read our phenomenal sports content. Uh, have I mean, our writers are producing great content. Uh, along with Katie Harper, who's doing well, of course, as always, with her football stories, her stories in general. Uh, and just a little teaser, you're going to get a really good story from her tomorrow uh, in print. So if you're in the Harrisburg area, pick up a copy of The Breeze and read that. But uh, yeah, shoot me any tweets on Twitter. If you disagree with my takes, I'd love to hear why I'm wrong, because I'm probably wrong. Awesome. <laughs> Perfect. And a huge thank you to you for joining us. I know we had tried to get you on for a while. We finally nailed you down. Thank you. And a, a thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. And yes, of course, uh, feel free to feel free to get me on whenever you guys uh, want, I guess. <laughs> we most definitely will. Awesome. As things start heating up with soccer later on in the season and we need your takes on it. I think you're one of the best voices out there on JMU men's and women's soccer. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. 100%. And we have you booked yes. for next yep, year. Next so year. Do, do not forget. We got that going. <laughs> Thank awesome. you very Thanks, much. Thanks, Noah. But yeah, so follow us at JMU Sports News on Twitter if you don't already. Like us on Facebook. Just type in JMU Sports News in the search bar and you'll find us. And head on over to www.jmusportsnews.com for any and all of the latest content you'll really find everything that you'll ever need right there so we threw out all of our follows and instas and whatever it was earlier so for Bennett Conlon my name is Jack Fitzpatrick and you all have a wonderful rest of your Wednesday see ya
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.